Morning, family. We're going to get right to it this morning, so grab your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 10 through 20 together. Um, and uh, if you do not have a Bible, there should be a hardbacked black one nearby. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Please take it, use it. Uh, if you get a new one, give it away. Give it, give it, give it away now. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be verses 10 through 20, and I'm going to invite you to read along with me this morning, and uh, when we get to the end of this reading, I'll say that this is the word of the Lord, and invite you then to respond by saying thanks be to God. Let's begin. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. This morning we are in uh, our third uh, sermon on this passage, verses 10 through 20, and we're going to get all the way through verse 13 this morning. Uh, and so we're going to be focusing really on verses 12 and 13 this morning. And so we're going to back up to verse 10. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And again, I want to uh, remind you that what Paul's saying here essentially is henceforth then, from, from this point on, I want you to be strong in the Lord. Not in your own strength, not in your own might, but in the strength and the might of the Lord. And, and then he says, from that place, put on, be clothed with the whole armor of God. What's interesting is that from an eschatological perspective, okay, from the, from the already that Christ has accomplished, whereby we are seated with him in the heavenly places, though in the flesh we're right here, right now, in the not yet, in the eschatological sense, we are clothed in robes of righteousness. But in the here and now, we are clothed in the armor of God. In the protection that is ours as we are literally clothed with Christ. And we have been clothed in the armor of God. Why? So that we may be able to stand. And elsewhere here, as we get into uh, the end of 13, beginning of 14, there's this three times, stand, 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 that this is our call. I enjoyed that this week as I contemplated this passage because I'm a wrestler. That's, that's what I did growing up. I was a wrestler. And, and there is one uh, common theme uh, that runs through... Uh, the time that you spend wrestling and the idea is to remain on your feet if at all possible until that time that you throw the other person from their feet and pin them to their back, right? And so the whole point is to always be on your feet and if you get knocked down from your, from your feet to get back up on your feet and to stand, that's the idea, especially in Greco-Roman wrestling, where the picture of Greco-Roman wrestling is one of two people on their feet 
tied together with their hands among their heads, trying to throw one another from their feet. And here Paul's call, his understanding of wrestling, being the Greco-Roman understanding of wrestling, is to stand, stand, stand. Don't lose your ground to the enemy. And so he says now, in that, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. I want you to hear that. That you may be able to stand. In other words, being clothed in the armor of God, which is Christ, you will be able to stand. It's not a question of maybe. It is a statement of truth that you will be able to stand and having done all to stand. Why? For every reason that we just read in the Belgic Confession this morning. For God himself is at work and there is no force that can come against you that has not been allowed by him in the first place. He did not leave you to this point to abandon you. Though that is our propensity to wonder like the children of Israel as they are drawn into the wilderness it is also our propensity to say did God lead me to this point to abandon me did he bring me here to this circumstance and this suffering to leave me here in the midst of the wilderness and leave me alone we are Can I get a witness? We are prone to think that way. But what is the truth? What is the reality? The reality is that the Lord of hosts is with us. And he will not abandon us. And no matter what the external circumstances look like, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that He is with us and He will walk with us through the fire. How can we know this? For He is not a man that He should lie and He has promised that He will be with us and never forsake us, abandon us, or leave us. Amen? Now the reason that we are prone to think that way is because the reality of our lives is that we experience circumstances that leave us, as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, perplexed. We are persecuted. That is our reality. But in the midst of that persecution, in the midst of that perplexion, we have to know that we have not been abandoned and we will not be crushed. Amen. And so Paul says that we will be able to stand against the schemes of of the devil, or the KJV, the wiles, the wiles of the devil. Why wiles? Why schemes? Because he is not a gentlemanly opponent. This is guerrilla warfare. This is not, we're going to march up until we see the white of each other's eyes and wait for each other to load our muskets and fire. This is guerrilla warfare and he is coming from every angle and from every hidden place to try and get us when we least expect it. And so we need to be prepared to stand against the schemes, the wiles, the insidiousness, the, the hidden ploys of the evil one. And what schemes and ploys 
and hidden plots does the enemy use? <coughs> what, what does the enemy do in general? What the enemy typically does in general is he takes something good that God has established and he perverts it. Now I have to ask you just real quick, real quick kind of cursory background history, kind of remember, look back and, and think about I know it was like over two years ago now. We were in just the first few chapters of Acts and, and we had just finished the book of Luke and we said that if the book of Luke was, was Christ's ministry in his earthly body, that Luke 2, or what we call the book of Acts, was Christ's ministry in his spiritual body. Right? Do you remember that? And, and how could we see Christ working in his spiritual body to care for his church. How did he do that? Well, he would like come down once in a while in bodily form and like minister to them. Is that, is that what he did? Anyone remember? Anyone ever read the book of Acts? No, that's not what he did. He didn't come down in bodily form to minister again to his body, the church. What did he do? He equipped the saints to care for one another so that we can know, even when we got to Ephesians chapter 4, that the way that Christ is caring for his body is through the people that he has gathered together, which is his body, and we nourish and care for one another as we administer the ministry of the word to one another. That's how Christ cares for his people is through his people. So what does the enemy commonly employ in scheming wildly plotting hidden ways to distract us from the reality of Christ's work in our life? People. And how do we know that? Because Paul has to say right here, as to let us know, to unveil the blinders that are on our eyes, that in the midst of these wily schemes of the evil one, where you know something is at work here, and I am being perplexed, persecuted, crushed, whatever, that in the midst of that, Paul wants us to remember that in the midst of that fight, what we're not fighting against is what? Flesh and blood. That we are wrestling, we are fighting, we are battling, but our wrestle, our fight, our battle is not against other people. Paul is letting us know that there is a battle. And he's letting us know who our fight is with and who our fight is not with. And he tells us plainly, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Beloved, our fight is not with each other. Our fight is not with each other. Here, us, the body of Christ, there should be no fight here with one another. Does that mean that there are not times that the enemy employs even brothers and sisters in Christ in wily, wicked, scheming, plotting ways to try and distract us from the reality of Christ's work for us and in our place? Yes. Often unwittingly. Sometimes through great deception. But even in the midst of those times, we have to come here and remember the truth that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our wrestle, our fight, our battle is not with one another. We are one, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, united in and by Christ. Look at it, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord... Paul says, Ephesians 4.1, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And what does that look like? It begins, he says, verse 2, in humility, with all humility, with what? Gentleness and patience. 
bearing with one another in love, eager, what does he say? To maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What unity is he describing? He's describing the unity that he's already shown us in chapter 2 where we all are being joined together, Jew and Gentile, from every tribe, nation, people, and tongue, joined together as living stones in this temple that God is creating by His Son, united together as one. We are united in this unity, he says, that we we ought to be eager to maintain that unity in the Spirit, in the bond of peace. Why? For there is not two men... No, no, no. Ephesians 2, he has now created one new man in place of the two. So what does it say? Verse 5, why? Or sorry, verse 4, for there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, One baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So our fight is not here. And that is vitally important for us to recognize, to remember. But that's only part of the truth, isn't it? For Paul does not say here, For we do not wrestle against our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's not what he says. While that is true, it is only partially true. For the whole truth, the whole unpacking of this is what? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So not just we don't wrestle against the ones who are doubly our family... But we do not wrestle against any other image bearer of God. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This means that our fight, this ongoing battle in the flesh is not against other flesh and blood. Our fight is not with any other image bearer. Period. Period. What about the wolf that seeks to come into the church and to disrupt and confuse and destroy? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. What about the false teacher that comes in and tries to deceive We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, are those things real? Yes. Do we stand against them? Yes. Do we oppose them to their face when necessary? Yes. But our fight is not with that image bearer. Our fight is not with that person. What is our fight with? We go to the text. And what does Paul say? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's who we don't wrestle against. But who do we wrestle against? We wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, just a quick little side note of explanation. When he says the heavenly places, that doesn't mean that all the spiritual demonic forces in the world run around in this space between the earth and wherever heaven might be. He's just talking about an exalted position among beings. Okay, that there's an exaltation of that being into a different realm that we cannot see. Okay, just a little point of context for you. But that is who our fight is against. Not against that image bearer, not against that person, but behind the spiritual forces of darkness that are behind that person and what they are doing. Our fight is not with any other image bearer period, no matter the relationship. Now, this is where it gets real. The 
schemes, the wiles, the hidden plots of the enemy. Because he will seek to still, steal, kill, and destroy through, most often, some of our closest relationships. Why is fatherlessness an issue? Sin, yes, sin. Generally, above all, yes. But is it not the wiles of the wicked one who seeks to destroy even the fabric of how we might relate to the God who created us? by disrupting and seeking to destroy the relationship that children have with their father. That's why even kids who have some of the best dads in the world still grow up with daddy issues. And why some of the most grievous, heinous, and evil sin is often committed by fathers. You want to get real? I'm not saying it's not wicked. I'm not in any way saying that you should have a personal, private, interconnected relationship with this person. I'm not saying that, but I'm here to remind you that even the father who has molested or abused or worse, his daughter, his son, you wrestle not against flesh and blood. Wicked, yes. Damnable, yes. Do you need to be in close proximity and contact with that person? No. But you need to remember for the good of your own soul that the fight is not against that image bearer. It's not with that person, but against the forces of darkness that are behind the evil that that person committed to you. So the father that has abused, the mother that, that has abused, the, 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 the child who has done wicked things, the brother, the sister, the aunt, the uncle, the neighbor, the co-worker, the boss. No matter the relationship, no matter how grievous the nature of the sin your fight is not a natural fight against a person, but rather with the demonic spiritual forces that are at work in keeping or seeking to bind and keep bound in sin the image bearer of God that you're in contact with. That image bearer that you see in front of you and you are in contact, in conflict with. Your fight is not with flesh and blood. The husband, the wife that is hurt, that has abused, that has lied, that has cheated, you wrestle not against flesh and blood. Is this an excuse for evil action? No. Is this a call, again, to, to be in Constant personal communion with someone who is sinning against you actively. No. But it is a reminder to you that that person is not who you are fighting against. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Church, beloved, this is a fundamental truth for us to understand if we are to wage spiritual war effectively. We must know who our true enemy is. 
Again, this passage is not disconnected from the rest of Paul's letter. Paul's been leading us to this point. These cosmic powers that he's speaking about shouldn't like catch us off guard and like, wait, what cosmic powers is he talking about? No, go back to chapter 5. Look at verses 1 through 16. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place. But instead let there be Thanksgiving, why? Because our God is not immoral. Our Father is not immoral. We've been called to imitate Him. Our God does not covet anything. He needs nothing. Our God uh, is not filthy or foolish or crude. And so as beloved children who are imitating Him, we should not walk in those ways. They are out of place. Why? They are sin because our God is not that way. He is holy and we've been called to live holy lives. Verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one, he says, deceive you with empty words for because of these things, The wrath of God comes upon whom? The sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience. Underline that. Put your finger there. Remember that. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Do not become partners with the sons of disobedience. Why? Verse 8. For at one time, you were. You were. A son of disobedience. You were darkness, he says. But now you are light in the Lord. Against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Once you were darkness. Once you were under the control of those powers. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper. And arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Verse 6, sons of disobedience. There, There are people who are in the employ, they're under the control of these cosmic powers of darkness and it is through them that the wiles of the wicked one are coming against us and we have to remember that our fight is not with that son of disobedience. And we must remember that we were that son of disobedience at one time. We were under the same power and control of spiritual forces of darkness under the wicked one. Verse 8, at one time you were darkness. Praise God, hallelujah, thank you Jesus, that whoever it was that we were obviously in conflict with if we were not in Christ, when they came and spoke the word of truth, the word of Christ, the gospel of our salvation to us, praise God, hallelujah, what a Savior, that in that moment, that person did not recognize us as the foe with which they were wrestling against, but rather as the son of disobedience through whom the wicked one was trying to work to to confuse, and rather they preached the gospel to us, and we were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Because that person recognized, no matter how much a pain in the whatever we were to them, 
that they weren't wrestling against us. They weren't wrestling against flesh and blood. And they waged spiritual war for our soul against the real enemy, which are the powers of darkness behind the evil that we were walking in. How were you ever transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light? When someone came and shined the light in the darkness in your life. Exposed what was in darkness. Exposed to you your own estate so that you might recognize that I am indeed a sinner in need of a savior. And Christ came to die for sinners like me. If you're going to expose the works of darkness in the life of a fellow image bearer who is a son of disobedience, what is the purpose of that exposure? Do we, do we bring the light of the truth of the word of God so that we can just phase them into non-existence? So that we can destroy them? Is that our purpose? Just kind of turn the light on, destroy, just watch their life fall apart and laugh at them? Is that, is that what our call is? No! Our call is to shine the light of the truth of the word of God on them so that their soul might be saved. So they no longer continue in darkness but can continue in the light. We've got to have a yearning in our soul that understands that, and we will only understand that if we understand who our fight is really with. Because as long as we don't, we will see them as the enemy instead of as an image bearer of God who is reflecting a corrupted image that needs to be conformed to the image of the Son and changed from one degree of glory to another. Is our purpose to destroy them? No. Our purpose is to expose the ruler, the power, the authority that they are bound by so that they too, they also, they like us, might truly be saved. I love verse 15 of chapter 5. Look carefully then how you walk not as unwise but as wise. You're in a battlefield. Duck! Get down! Hit the floor! Army crawl! Don't walk out in the middle of the battlefield without your helmet on, walking like a fool. Be wise. Understand. Wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove, so that when you shine that light on that person, you don't destroy them, but you rather are in a place for God to save them. The days are evil. Paul's day, specifically, Paul actually says this present Darkness, there was a kind of darkness and evil that was existing and escalating at Paul's time. He saw it, he knew it, he's in prison because of it right now. In fact, before he went there in Acts, we see he actually calls for the elders of the church of Ephesus to come and meet him and he tells them, we're not going to see each other anymore. This is, this is it between us and I, I love you and so I wanted to have sweet communion and fellowship with you one more time. Uh, I'll write you, but we ain't going to see each other again. This present darkness is escalating. God has a purpose in it, and He will be glorified. For me, I'm, I'm out. Later, he'll write Timothy and say, I've, I've fought the fight. I've run the race. I've, I've finished my life is poured out like a drink offering. And I'm at rest. Oh, that we could say that at the end of our time. 
that for the sake of other image bearers, we had been poured out. That we had been poured out because we understood that our fight wasn't with them. That because everything we needed in Christ we already possessed, we could give everything that we have. And be at rest. There's a present evil Paul's talking about involved with the rulers and power and authority that culminate in Nero's reign in Rome. It's a very specific darkness that Paul is referring to, but the implications are for us as well. And if you know your history, you know that the culture and context that we live in today is very similar to the culture and context that Paul was writing to when he wrote this letter to the Ephesians. The other interesting thing is that when we get to Ephesians 5 and Paul says sons of disobedience that this wasn't the first time in the letter that we heard those words. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3. After Ephesians 1 where Paul lifts our eyes to see the glory and the majesty of this sovereign Creator, God, Lord, and Father who has predestined all things that happen according to His plan to the praise of His glory and grace. As our eyes are lifted up, Ephesians 2.1, He brings our eyes back down so that we can see ourselves. And He says, and you, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That was us. We, we were the sons of disobedience. And we were dead. And those sons of disobedience, they're dead. They're spiritually dead. And the things that they are walking in, the evil that they are walking in, for them it is not a choice. They are bound by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Just as we were. Verse 3 among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. What does that mean? That we were being carried about. We were being strung along by our own lusts. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath. Just like the rest of mankind. Church, the people we think we are in conflict with are not the enemy. We were them. And we must, we must remember this. But chapter 2, verse 4. But God. God, I was dead, I was bound, I was destined for destruction, but God, but God who is what? Rich in mercy. How many people have we drawn a line on our paper, on our list, and we've counted them below the line? Because somehow we believe internally that God must be bankrupt in mercy. But he is not bankrupt in mercy. He is rich in mercy. And his richness knows no lack. Which means as he doles out mercy, there's more mercy to give. But we draw our line and we count people below the line. 
because we really don't believe in the power of the gospel to save the perishing. We should want, yearn for, pine for, cry out and pray for a but God for every single image bearer we come into contact with. Better even still to let those prayers mature into a preaching of the gospel to those image bearers. Expose the darkness so that the ruler of their life can be unveiled and they can be unveiled and be transferred from son of disobedience to dearly loved and adopted son of God. I really, really wanted to go to Acts chapter 16 and read like the whole chapter. But I'm just going to unpack it for you a little bit. You can turn there if you want. Acts 16. Paul has a dream, a vision where a man from Macedonia urges Paul in this vision, in this dream in the middle of the night to come over to Macedonia and help us. And so immediately Paul and his posse seek to go into Macedonia and preach the gospel to them because they concluded that that's what this vision meant, that that's what God wanted them to do. And so they, they head in and they end up in Philippi, which is a leading city, a Roman colony in the district of Macedonia. And they were there several days and they, on the Sabbath they, they go outside to the gate to the riverside where they suppose there is a place to pray. And there it's where they meet Lydia. And Lydia is perhaps not the person that they expected to meet at the gate in the middle of this area because Lydia was a, a seller of the color purple. And the color purple was for royalty. It was for the wealthy. And that means that, that if she had a corner on the market for the color purple in this Roman colony, that this, she was high society. And they preach the gospel and Lydia believes she's saved and, and really becomes a founding member of the church in Philippi. And she invites the apostles and the whole crew into her home and, and they begin there to stay. And while they're there, they go again to the place of prayer. And if you look at verse 16, it says, We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now what's interesting is that this demon-possessed girl is actually proclaiming the truth. But she's doing it in such a way that it's causing disruption to the ministry of the gospel here in this place. And look at this, verse 18. And this she kept doing for many days. That means that there was a length of time that this was going on where Paul was enduring this uh, this while of the wicked one through this demon-possessed girl for many days. Paul having become greatly annoyed. I love that. Can I tell you what annoyed means in the Greek? It means annoyed. <laughs> He's irritated. He's frustrated. He's annoyed. He turned and he said, what does it say? What does it say, church? He turned and he said to the girl, hey, leave me alone. Get out of this place. Is that what he said? 
No, he turned and said to the Spirit. Why? Because Paul understood that he wrestled not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and powers of darkness in this present age. He turned and he spoke to the Spirit. And he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And we have every implication by the lack of any kind of Paul Harvey rest of the story that this young girl became a part of the church in Philippi. We don't don't know, but there is no reason to doubt. And you can almost see Lydia in that moment When the Spirit leaves her, that God-fearing, worshiping woman coming and putting her arm around that girl and ushering her away from the men that had taken so much advantage of her. And in a Titus 2 way, begin to shepherd and disciple that young woman in the ways of the Lord. How can I infer that? Because that's what it would mean to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Boy, were her owners ticked. They publicly strip and beat Paul and all of his friends, and they unjustly throw them into jail. And it's here in this place in Philippi, where in the middle of the night, bound in chains, locked in the prison, that Paul and Silas and the rest of them begin to praise and worship God. The quaking, shaking comes and looses their chains and the doors are opened. And the third member of the church of Philippi we see is the jailer. Because when he sees the doors opened... (coughs) He assumes the worst that all of his prisoners have run away and he draws his sword to slay himself in order to save his family. Because if all the prisoners were gone and he remained alive, his family would be ruined in that community. But they didn't leave. Because just like in Ephesians, Paul wasn't so eager to get out of his circumstance, but to rather see what God might do through it. They stay. The jailer famously says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the scandalous, simple gospel is proclaimed from Paul when he says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. for the power of the gospel. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We see it in Philippi. We should long to see it here. But we will only only do this 
when we remember 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And such were some of you. The only way that we're going to exist in this place, in this flesh, in this fight, and recognize the true enemy rather than the ones that we think are our enemy that are in front of us, these image bearers who need Christ. The only way that we're going to exist in this place and even in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of sin being done against us, to pray and also preach the gospel that is the power of God to salvation is when we remember that such were some of you. But you were passive voice washed but you were washed you were washed you were washed and the though your sin were as scarlet it has become white as snow you were washed and i love the reversal of the ordo salutis that Paul puts here, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What's the result? The result is the but God from Ephesians 2, verse 4 but God who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved you. Made you alive together with Christ. You were dead, but he's made you alive. And he's raised us up. You are bound by the world, the flesh, and the devil, but you have been loosed from those chains and raised up. And he has seated you with Christ in the heavenly places where once... You were by nature a child of wrath, destined for destruction. Now you are seated with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And your salvation in him, your washing, your sanctification, your justification is just as locked down and secure as he himself is. Ruling and reigning, seated at the right hand of the Father. And all of this, all of this is a work of grace. All of it. So Paul says, verse 13 of Ephesians 6. Therefore, because of that truth and that reality, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You've been made alive, you've been raised up, you've been seated with Christ. And now, you have also been dressed for battle. Clothed in the protection of Christ that we may be able to withstand, verse 11, the schemes, the wiles of the devil. Because he comes against your mind, which is why you need the helmet of salvation. 
He plays with your emotions, which is why you need the breastplate of righteousness. He seeks to steal the peace of the gospel by paralyzing you with fear, which is why you need your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He tries to overcome your faith with external persecution and oppression, which is why you need the shield of faith whereby you might be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And he attempts to confuse the word of God, which is why you need the sword of the Spirit to wage war in this battle against your true enemy which is not flesh and blood. And in this you can be confident that having done all, if you are in Christ and clothed in Him, you will stand. Pastor, how can I know that? Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. In Him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things, all without exception, no distinction. All without exception, every last thing. He works out every last thing according to the counsel of His will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So with confidence we can stand and we can pray and we can praise God that in Christ, with like David, He has taught our hands to fight in our fingers to make war. Let's stand together and pray this morning. Father, you alone are good. And your word is truth. And Jesus prayed for us that we would be sanctified in your truth. So in your grace, communicate that grace to us today and sanctify us, O God. Help us Shine the light so that we might see that our fight is not against flesh and blood. And put in us, O oh God, passion to see corrupted image bearers be redeemed and recreated anew in Christ Jesus through the preaching of the gospel. May you put in us such a confidence that your arm is not short unto salvation that we would not hesitate to speak and proclaim the truth of the gospel. to even the most wicked and vilest of sinners. And make us ready and willing 
you're able by your spirit then to regard them according to the flesh no longer, but embrace them as the brother or sister in Christ that you have made them to be in your son. We cannot do this work. Only you can. May we submit to your work now. In Jesus' name, amen.